1: Happy Friday. Welcome into the Arrowhead Pride best of the week. Yes, that's right. We are bringing you the best of the week a day early this week. Had to make some minor alterations to the podcast schedule. So you get best of today and Arrowhead Pride draft talk is coming at you first thing Saturday morning. So make sure you're locked in right here to the Arrowhead Pride podcast network. But today on best of we begin with the Arrowhead Pride draft room. They broke down and tiered the top 20 edge rushers in the upcoming NFL draft. After that, we'll take a quick timeout. When we get back, you'll hear from Chiefs coast to coast. They discuss Melvin Ingram taking visits in Miami and which linebacker you think is going to improve more next season for the Kansas City Chiefs, Willie Gay Jr. or Nick Bolton. That's going to be followed up by the Arrowhead Pride editor show. They had a conversation about the Chiefs' salary cap and how they could fit all of these draft picks into that budget. That's all coming up on today's Arrowhead Pride Best of the Week.
2: I want to transition, and let's go back to the other side of the ball because I think this will be a fun exercise uh, about a couple weeks before the draft. Last week, me and Brian kind of nitpicked my top 10 receiver rankings. I have finalized them. And this week, I'm going to have you see if you can kind of needle anywhere and, and and pick out some uh, some parts of my top, I'm going to go, we're going to try to go top 20 edge rushers, top 20 edge defensive end slash kind of just edge position players in this year's draft. Obviously, when to talk about these guys, I naturally talk about them from a Chiefs perspective, because that's what we know, right? The Chiefs defense is is what we know and how we think about football right now, because that's what... Who we cover. So at the same time, I do try to rank these guys in a vacuum. So bear with me as I try to explain the method to the madness. But, Town, let's start here because I think uh, I wanted to get your take on the top of the class, even if these guys aren't going to be Chiefs maybe next year. Uh, Although we never know. um, And we'll talk through that. But I still have Kayvon Thibodeau as my number one edge rusher in this year's class. If I'm if I'm thinking about a guy that's gonna get after the quarterback um at, at a at the most consistent level and, and really flash as a guy just flying off the edge, it's Thibodeau to me. Like I, you know, I, I think a lot of the stuff you hear that the reason he's falling is all off field stuff and it's all stuff that doesn't even make sense to me. I have talked about this over and over um with Jay Binkley on the six ten on, on six ten radio. Cause yeah, it is just it's crazy that he he's fallen down so much from almost seeming like consensus number one pick throughout the football season. But uh, so I have him at number one, Aiden Hutchinson at number two, the Michigan edge defender, Jermaine Johnson, the second at number three, Florida state edge defender and David Ojabo at number four. Now those are my first tier of edge rushers in this year's class. Top four talent anywhere in that. Do you disagree? Agree? Just what are your thoughts on what you think the top of this year's class looks like?
3: No, um, pure talent-wise, I think he got it pretty spot-on. Um, Thibodeau and Hutchinson, I mean, you could make arguments for either one to be the, the number one guy. Um, I think those two are really the only two that you could put as a number one overall edge rusher out of this class, and then Jermaine Johnson and Ojabo. Um, I do agree that they belong in that tier one. Just overall, I think their careers are going to be um, very uh, poignant and very successful, and they're going to be you know, perennial pro bowlers. But Hutchinson and Thibodeau are the only two that really warrant that number one overall spot
2: good okay well no disagreement so far but now i want your take on trayvon walker because i did leave him out of that first Mm -hmm. tier and he is a guy that might go second or third overall in the draft because of his athletic numbers and kind of the projection that he could be even though he wasn't a very productive player in college and wasn't you know a super flashy um you know sack guy or anything so do you agree that trayvon walker is not in that top tier or what do you think about him
3: Man, I'm going to. Yeah, I agree that he's not in that tier one, but I I have a hard time putting him with tier two based on the other guys you have in there. So I'm going to say he's tier one and a half. Uh, Uh I I think he's kind of in a class of his own and he's not that elite edge rushing guy. But he's if he lands in the right spot, if he goes to the right scheme, if he lands with the right staff and the right players around him, this is a guy that could be uh, one of the best at his positions. But again, he's not a universally good player. Uh, he's not going to go to Jacksonville and be the best player on the field. He's not going to go to Detroit and be the best player on the field. He needs help around him. So, uh, yeah, I think he just needs to go to the right spot and, uh, you know, a top 10 team could be the right spot.
2: That's why it, it is an interesting thing. Cause yeah, he, I, I think he's a projection and NFL teams are a lot smarter than us. And, uh, I mean, we think so, uh, you know, not, some, not all the time. It doesn't seem like, but, uh, it, if he's going number two or number three, like, you know, I think NFL teams just that's them telling you that we feel confident we can develop this guy into an all-star stud. Um, And he has the profile to do that. It's just, uh, we haven't seen it yet. And that's something that I, you know, I just have to kind of factor in. Like I, I, you know, you look at the film and you just like the four guys I listed ahead of him. You just do, I I do personally. So that's the top five. Those are all kind of the, the for sure first round guys. I think there's no doubt about it. Those five guys, I mean, Ojabo with the injury, maybe not, but before the injury, that those were the top five guys you saw in first round mocks now. Here's where, and I actually probably agree with you. I would probably have actually, you know what, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna change that. I was gonna say I probably would have Trayvon Walker in his own tier, but I'm gonna go ahead and and put the next two guys in that tier with him. And I have Trayvon Walker with Sam Williams, the Ole Miss edge defender, and and uh, George Karloftis, the Purdue defensive end. Now, Sam Williams is, is definitely a name that you don't see up there a lot. And I don't know when I see a guy like Sam Williams, I, I to me, he looks just he has the kind of the base fundamentals, the foundation that a guy like Karloftis has. But he also kind of has some of the juice sometimes that you see from a Jermaine Johnson a little bit. I think he's actually a pretty close prospect of what Jermaine Johnson gives you. And I think a lot of this off field stuff, which we've talked about on this podcast before, has really buried him you know, on the draft boards, which is totally understandable. And it happens. But I think from a pure talent perspective, I mean, I might be a little too high on him, but I don't know. It does seem like he belongs in that in that that. First or second tier in this year's class, and so yeah, Trayvon Walker, Sam Williams, George Karloftis. I don't know if you have any takes on Williams, but Karloftis is a, is a guy that I feel like gets way too slept on in this class. Um, how do you feel about the potential of the Chiefs picking him at twenty nine or thirty?
3: I like Karloftis. Um, he's he's a guy that I was I was pretty high on early. He's slipped down my board as as other guys have kind of risen throughout the process. But he's he's a guy that you just know what you're going to get. Um, and he, he's a technician. He, he really has a wide variety of moves they can, that he can utilize. And he's still pretty raw. He hadn't been playing football for that long, which I feel like is the case for a lot of these guys, um, especially edge rushers. I mean, you see it with Ojabo, you, you know, we just yeah. said it with Carl with Loftus. Um, but anyway, so there's still room to grow, but I just, I'm not sure. He, he's a high floor, lower yeah. ceiling guy. Um, he's a safer pick, but he, I don't think he's going to be your best pass rusher um, I think he's always going to be your number two.
2: Yeah. But that's, there's a lot of value to that if you're really confident he can become that. So that's why, and I, and I agree with you for the most part, I do think he does have a little more room to grow as a player. Um, he, like you said, he's, he's young. Um, but at the same time, you know, you can't teach bend and, you know, some of these guys have that bend that, that really makes them, you know, maybe higher ceiling guys to him, but that high floor, that what makes him that's what makes him a tier two player for me. I, I would be pretty pumped up if the Chiefs were able to get him on on day one. As long as it doesn't mean trading up for him or or any sort of that. I, I think he just needs to be he's he's a good value at twenty-nine or thirty, I think. Um I would definitely say so tier three, I think there is a there is a, a significant mark. I think it was pretty easy for me to cut off from Karloffis to the next tier, even though I do like some of these some of these players in this tier. And it is another three person tier to me. Um you know, I'm thinking through it. Yeah, it is a three-person tier. Because I do like Arnold Ebicchetti as that first guy in that next tier. Um, I, I, The more I think about him, the more I really like the idea of him coming in. And, yeah, maybe he will have to adjust to the NFL and maybe not be as full-time of a starter as we need at a defensive end. But he's going to give us some pass rush juice. And and the more you think about it, the more it would be nice to have someone that, that really gives you some some juice off the edge because he has it. So I like Ebicchetti. Boye Maffe is my number nine overall guy, the middle of the third tier. Now that might be a little low compared to what, what some other people have him, but I don't know. I do think he, he is, there's a lot of projection there in my opinion. And it, it is, you know, I do think about it more and more. And, and I I do feel a lot more comfortable with with some of these other guys I've mentioned so far, even though I really like the thought of Maffe, his ceiling, what he could become. Um, you know, I just think when you talk about he, he was in a two point stance a lot in college, he was, you know, he, there was some things where, you know, as a pure three-point stance defensive end, like you're you're going you're gonna to need some work uh, to get him really as a guy that can be thrown in there and play, you know, three downs, full snaps for you as a defensive end. So that's why I have him at number nine. And then Drake Jackson is the number 10 USC edge defender, someone we haven't talked to a lot about. And I do know we're going to talk about him a little later as well. But I just, I just like the, the, raw, the, the raw talent. He has a guy, a very high-rated uh, recruit. And you can tell, you know, you see the bend that made him probably a, a guy that, that a lot of people were sought after. And that's a guy that at this point in the, in these rankings uh, compared to the rest of the guys on the list, I'm going to take the swing on with with the talent because I do see where there could be some uh, deficiencies. But uh, I, like, I like the ceiling that Drake Jackson has. And he has the size, too. He has the, the size to, to, to grow into and and fill out a little more. So 8, 9, 10, Ebiketti, maffe Jackson. Is there anybody? We've gone through the top ten. Is there anybody you're surprised aren't isn't in the top ten, or just any thoughts on the guys we I just spoke about?
3: Uh, no, I think I don't think you're really missing anybody in that top ten. I think you got it pretty pretty good in in my opinion. I agree with most of them, or not most all of them. Um, some of the rankings I would might alternate, but um, so in this last year, Ebiketti is definitely my favorite out of those three. Um, I like Maafey, but again, I agree with everything you just said. In um, regarding his game and what he's going to do at the next level and, and its development speed and stuff like that, but Ebaquetti to me, I like him a lot. I actually, I might have put him in the tier above where you yeah. have him. I might put him with Karloftis and Williams. Um, that's fair.
2: I think that's a fair argument.
3: Yeah, I really like him. Ebaquetti would be the only one um, out of those three that I would consider at twenty nine or or or, uh, or thirty. Um, Mafei... I don't know. I don't. I don't like him as a first rounder. Jackson. Well, yeah, we'll get into him. I'm. I'm just. I'm not as high on Jackson um, as as a lot of people. But we can get into that here a little bit later.
2: Yeah. No. Uh, Ketty is is a guy that I might not be given enough credit to in terms of how he can hold up on the edge. You know, he 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 had to play in the Big Ten. He had to play against a lot of run heavy offenses and and had you know has experience kind of going against you know having to set the edge and having to he just you know there, he's a little light you know and he's a little you know not the not the biggest dude but. At the same time, man, when you when you threaten so much with speed and bend, you can translate that to power and kind of, uh, you know, make it up that way. So, yeah, I, I do like Ebuketti the more this process has gone on. Um, I do agree that, you know, 29 or 30. I, I At first, I was kind of saying maybe it's a little too early for him. I'm probably there now because it does seem like that's where he's going to go. It's where his value is, this edge class. You're probably going to see guys go off the board pretty early. And so it's going to move everybody up. So when you think about it like that, and mafe you probably have to throw into those same terms. Even if in a vacuum, you might, I might like him later in the class. You're probably going to have to pick him uh, at least, you know, bottom of the first, if not maybe early second to, to get good value on him, where he's going to go. So it's interesting. That's why we can't wait for the draft. And that's why we're, we're filling time till it gets here. I Before we go to break, I want to quickly break down the ne- the last uh, 11 through 20 because, you know, these are guys we haven't talked about a lot. We've talked about the guys we already have listed. And at number 11, I think Nick Bonito is a guy from Oklahoma, an edge rusher that may not fit. He's kind of, you know, it, I think Ebicetti. this is where I, I think like my Ebicetti thing might be overreacting because then when you look at Bonito, like, he really is a, a smaller guy that really, you know, really needs to be in a certain situation where he's not playing full time. Um, and that's why he may not be as high a name as, as you see with these, some of these other guys. But, man, can he fly off the ball. Man, does he have been. It's probably because he's so light. But, I, you know, he, he really is a guy that's probably going to come in and, and, and cause some havoc as an edge rusher probably right away, just in a situational terms, you know, on third downs. Um, and so the right team's going to be able to utilize him. And that's why I have him pretty high. But I don't think the Chiefs are will be super interested in him depending on where he goes. Seems like he'll go in the second round. Maybe it's good enough value in the third round where they just say, screw it. We're going to get a guy that flies off the edge. Who cares if he's a situational player for us? 11 there. Number 12, Majai Sanders, the Cincinnati edge rusher. 13, Cameron Thomas, the San Diego state edge defender. 14, Joshua Pascal, the Kentucky defender. Now 11 through 14 is their own uh, tier for me. Cameron Thomas was a guy that I was super surprised landed this low for me. Um, He's a guy that, you know, you've talked about, uh, 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 rocky has written up on the site for us but you know i i just i i really don't he he really just doesn't excite me as much as someone should that plays the positions he does in the mountain west you know if you're going to be a guy that goes back and forth between a three tech and an edge defender and, and kind of is the your you know the the offense is you know maybe matchup nightmare i'd just like to see you dominate a little more um i do see, i do see the fundamental the the foundation to where he he could come in and, and grow off of that and become a good player but I don't know. I, I like I like the the ceiling of the guys ahead of him a little bit. And I'm going to take ceiling um, on, on these first couple of days. You know, I'm going to take the ceiling over. So, yeah, Majai Sanders, though, is that someone that you I know we've talked about him a little bit, but I like him, you know, to an extent. But he is pretty light. Right. Like, do you see him being able to fit into the Chiefs defense from what they really ask for the defensive ends to do? And I don't know any other comments on this little tier here.
3: Yeah, Benito and Sanders for me are going to be tough to to um merit using a pick. on Depending on where it is, if it's a third round pick, I think I'd be okay with it, but I don't know if, you know, if they're going to be there. Like you said, these guys are explosive athletes and um they're going to bring a pass rush to a team. But again, I would say Benito especially um is a stand-up guy. He's he's a guy that needs to be coming out of yeah. a two-point stance. Um and yeah, you, you, said it's, it's he'd be more of a situational guy with the Chiefs. Um And then Sanders, yeah, he's, he's, he's had a fluctuating off season. Um, This is a guy that I feel has gone up and down all across the board. And um, I'm still not really sure where to land the dart on him. And I just, I'm, I'm just so nervous and I don't know, I'm not really (laughs) comfortable picking him at all just because I'm I'm not sure exactly what you're going to get. There's just been so many question marks uh, throughout his process. It's like, I don't, you know, obviously teams interview guys and they have a much more better handle than I would, but. Um, for me, I just I want to stay away from him. And then Cameron Thomas, the injury scare me. Um, the, the, you know, yeah. they, started, they started popping up at the Pro Bowl or the the Senior Bowl, and they started yeah. popping up at the Combine. Um, you know, if it's a one off and he can get over it, he is a good player. That you know, um, is a good all across the defensive line. You had versatility. Um, I don't think he's an elite edge rusher, but he is a good run defender, and he provides enough that you know he he could get probably a handful of sacks each year. Um, but yeah, he, I'm not as high, but yeah, round two, round three, he's worth a shot. I like him better than the other two.
2: Yeah, there we go. Yeah, no, it it is just interesting, man. This, it just depends on what you like from your edge defenders. A guy like Sanders, he is just really light. You know, he's a light dude. Um, pretty skinny dude. It shows up on tape and then obviously comes to the combine. I know he had the illness, but he comes in super light, um, under 230 pounds. So he's built that back on a little bit, but he really does project if the Chiefs take him, he's got to be that wide nine defensive end. And and you really can't have him as a strong side DN right away, at least until he bulks up a little more and can hold up against the run a little more. But the reason I do like him, at least at number 12 here in the rankings, because he does have this 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 these fundamentals. This, he does know how to play the position. He does know how to play that four three DN, you know, whether it's a seven or a nine like he he can play it. It's just, he was only playing it at the American conference level instead of the NFL. So he's definitely a guy that's going to come in and and be know what he's doing, but whether that turns into, you know, being able to play, be a starter is, is left to be determined. I mentioned Kentucky, Joshua Pascal, you know, he's a guy that's grown on me. You've mentioned him. I look back at him after you mentioned him on, on one of our pods and, and yeah, I I think he could come in and give you solid snaps right away. He just doesn't have that, that same ceiling in terms of his build, his frame. He's not going to, you know, be one of these bulking guys, these long frame guys, but he'll give you solid snaps. He played in the SEC and and, and played well there. Dominique Robinson, the Miami of Ohio um, defensive end. He is someone I'm a little intrigued with just because he's about 6'5". You know, he's pretty light at 253, but man, that wingspan, That you know, the 82-inch wingspan, 73rd percentile, 41-inch vertical jump, 121-inch broad jump, which is 80th percentile. Dude's an athlete. Dude can move. He's definitely a little bit of a project, which is why he's at 15 for me. But, man, he'd be an exciting pick, uh, you know, maybe on day, uh, round three, you know, maybe uh, sometime in that point. And just to round it out here, Isaiah Thomas from Oklahoma. And this is where I have Kingsley Enigbare, Alex Wright from UAB, Enigbare is from South Carolina, I should mention, Michael Clements from Texas A&M, and then to round it out, D'Angelo Malone, the Western Kentucky edge defender. Those are my last guys, and those are the guys, you know, there some guys I had to squeeze out of my top 20 that I was surprised. You know, I'll mention Tyreek Smith's name, the Ohio State edge defender. This just kind of tells you that that the edge defender class is, is a pretty good one this year. I think I'd be happy to see, you know, uh, you know a guy like Alex Ryder, Michael Clemens. They could even be day three picks potentially, and they could come in and give you solid snaps. They just have the size, the NFL size to do that. So, yeah, as you look at the bottom, you know, the bottom of this top 20 list here, are there any other names uh you like to highlight real quick before we throw it to break?
3: Yeah, I really like Pascal. Um even since the last time we talked up uh, my my uh my love for him has grown even a little bit more and yeah, I would like him in the Chiefs. I think he would be a, a really good value piece. I think he would be the guy that eventually takes Frank Clark's spot um yeah. and he becomes your your every down defensive end starter uh you know, opposite your 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 true number one guy. So, um, I do like Pascal. I think he brings a lot of value and then the other guys, yeah, the the when you get when look at guys like Clemens and Enigbari and, and even Malone, um, these are guys that are just they have profiles and they're they're just big dudes. They've been playing football. They you know they're rugged. They're they, they have a lot of snaps underneath them. Um it's just gonna take some time for them to get, you know, to where they can consistently beat offensive linemen. Um and you know they they just don't have very sharp tools and they're just they're just guys that are that when you bring in they're good picks and they're going to stick around because they're, they've they played football long enough and they're um, they're going to be good against in certain situations and, you know, training camp, they're good bodies and they're, they're going to stick out. So um, great picks and, and you know, for, for later rounds.
0: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team.
4: Well, something that is going to look the same is Calais Campbell in a Baltimore Ravens uniform. He just re-signed there, a two-year deal, $6 million guaranteed, and he turned down the Chiefs. They were on his list. He's a six-time Pro Bowler. Obviously, he's not the same guy. He's up there in age, but he's still very good against the run. Is this a big deal that Chiefs missed out on him?
5: Uh, it's a medium deal. i I, I mean, my... I feel like every Chiefs fans uh, panic meter as far as the defensive line and defensive line room. I mean, you got to be feeling a little, a little something. The number or the names and the numbers on there right now isn't really inspiring a lot of, uh, let's say, enthusiasm coming off last year's AFC championship loss where they only had one sack. Uh, It was cool to see Derek Nottie back in the fold. And I know they've made some depth signing as well, but, that's why my frown strategy for them focuses around getting an impact player in the defensive line because you haven't done it yet. I know Frank Clark is back, but like I said, this conversation is about impact players along the defensive line. And uh, I would like to see them add somebody.
4: Yeah, and um, once again, guys, if you have any questions, just send a request. We'll get to your questions here very soon because, to be quite frank, very quiet week for the Chiefs. So not a lot of news. So we're going to be wrapping up here pretty soon if you guys don't have any questions. And speaking of defense line, and getting somebody in here, how about getting somebody that was already here? Melvin Ingram. He took a visit with the Dolphins. Is he coming back Aaron or what's going on here?
5: How much help does Tyreek Ke- Tyreek Hill need in Miami, my boy? I mean, <laughs> I thought Tua was the most accurate quarterback in the league. What's <laughs> the defense though, man? They're trying
4: to get Melvin Ingram. They're trying to build up their pass rush down there in South Beach.
5: A messing. No, it, it, it's a good it's a good look for him. Uh, obviously, it seems like the Chiefs have kind of drawn their line in the sand. There, uh, they. Uh, we'll see if anything happens. This is just reckless speculation at this point. It's just, it's just, it, I mean, Melvin Ingram is a guy KC would, would obviously appreciate to have back, but who knows? Who knows where he goes? I, mean, I thought he was going to be a guy that was like, ah, I'll catch y'all, you know, after y'all figure out the whole OTA thing and trade camp, You know, that guy maybe necessarily don't, doesn't really thrill him to go out and, and be out in the early parts of the year, call me when somebody really needs me um and then when I saw him at my home's wedding, I'm like oh this is, this is cut this is cool i mean it's it's a done deal, but uh Miami seems to be on the radar now uh somebody anybody, please because I, I mean I saw a discussion on, on Chiefs Twitter about this possibly being bottom barrel unit league wide I wonder if the, I wonder if you would agree with that or say it's hyperbole. No,
4: I would definitely agree with that hundred percent and if the Chiefs don't re-sign Melvin Ingram, that would be a pretty – that will be a body blow. That would actually hurt a little bit because when the Chiefs traded for him, their defense instantly improved, like instantly. Just bringing his leadership, allowing Chris Jones to go back inside, and he was actually productive. I mean, if you look at the sack numbers, yeah, they're not there, but he was causing havoc. And I think he had a chip on his shoulder based on how the Chargers kind of just threw him to the side. You know, pretty much said, uh, you're done, you're older now. And then obviously with Pittsburgh, according to him, he wasn't used correctly. So Kansas City was a chance for him to find his resurgence and his second win, if you would. So it would kind of hurt if the Chiefs aren't able to resign him because I I can't imagine his price tag being anything crazy. I mean, the guy is what? 34 years old, I believe.
5: I think the whole thing is trying to get young talent and player and player development. Like, we talked about Noah Gray and Cornell Powell and uh, who was another name I mentioned? Jody Fortson. But uh, what about Josh Kando? Uh, I, I, another guy where, you know, you invested a resource in, you invested a draft pick in. Uh, he's in that unit last time I checked uh what have you got from him production wise i know he's a guy that's under contract and you talked about cheap price uh some of those decisions got to be made too mark uh, i don't think that that i don't think we could just ignore that and say hey let's go get melvin ingram back again i mean like you gotta you gotta you gotta have depth pieces there too melvin ingram ain't gonna be able to do it all on on himself oh no i'm not saying
4: just rely on getting ingram and in, that's it like i'm still gonna draft at least two edge rushers for sure. And I'm glad you mentioned Joshua Kane, though, because I literally tweeted about him about two weeks ago. I was like, he's kind of the forgotten guy. Like, Do people realize he was a fourth-round pick? Like, That's not something you just take lightly. (laughs) And not to mention, the guy was a former five-star recruit out of high school. Obviously, things didn't pan out exactly how he wanted to at Florida State, but people always raved about his measurables, his athleticism, and we didn't really get to see him show any flashes because he got hurt last year and limited snaps. So there's still a lot of question marks there, a lot of untapped potential. And for Chiefs fans, I could see where they would feel uncomfortable if he has a big role this year, because we didn't even see any flashes last year to make you believe that, OK, he could take that leap in year, two because this will essentially be his rookie year. But, I mean, based on the measurables, the talent, the upside, all of that is there. But he has to get the opportunity.
5: So out of the group of Kane Doe, out of the group of Kane Doe, Fortson, Noah Gray, and Cornell Powell, who are you betting the house on to kind of emerge from that group?
4: (laughs) Oh, this is easy. It's Jody Fortson, 100%. I mean, before he got hurt, he was starting to come on. Remember that touchdown he caught against the Chargers, I believe, in the back of the end zone when he just (laughs) mossed like two people? I mean, he was starting to come along very, very well. And You saw the Chiefs use three tight end sets with him, Kelsey, and Noah Gray or even uh, Blake Bell. So I think now, especially with no Tyreek Hill, you get a Jody Fortin back. You're going to see a lot of those formations moving forward. And not to mention Noah Gray. Let's throw him some love, too. I know he didn't have that many targets, but he cashed in on the opportunities that he did get. Didn't drop no passes, really. He was a very surprisingly good blocker. He actually was the lead blocker on that touchdown play from Tyreek Hill against the Bills on that crazy yak play he had uh, at the end of the fourth quarter. Watch the replay. Noah Gray was the lead blocker there. So there's some uh, room for excitement in that tight end room.
5: After Kelsey, that's classic, Mark. Right? I ask you to pick one person, and you name everybody on the list. You you go go into coaching after this. I swear. <laughs> hey, man, I
4: just have to show Noah Gray some love, man. He had a quiet, uh, productive rookie year and limited snaps.
5: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see those guys take the next step. I was kind of high on Cornell Powell when he came out, and, and that didn't really even materialize. Not even really in camp. So, I mean, for a unit that's a down one Tyreek Hill, it would uh it would be nice to see him step up.
4: Yeah, and I'm gonna ask you one more question before we get out of here since we don't have no questions in the queue, man. They're quiet today, Aaron. You know that
5: that <laughs> is funny. Like, honestly, this time period would be sixteen days away from the draft, I don't believe a word I see in the media, any of these <laughs> leaks. This kyper, I mean, like everything you read from now on about the draft, please take it with a grain of salt. And please don't overreact because a <laughs> lot of it, a lot of it, I would say like 45% of it is BS, Mark. It really is.
4: <laughs> yeah. So, all right. My question
5: for you, man.
4: Who makes the bigger leap next year at linebacker?
5: Willie Gay or Nick Bolton? Are we assuming that both stay healthy the whole time? Because I think that that's a... a, Yes, we're assuming both
4: play all 17 games.
5: Uh, In that equation, I guess Willie Gay takes the bigger lead because he wasn't completely healthy this time around. And if they both have the full complement of snaps, it's going to be tough, man. I, I think Nick Bolton's floor is something that was astonishing to see in his rookie year. And I was a Nick Bolton denier from the very jump. As a Mizzou fan, I said, oh, he's too slow. He's going to be in the AFC West with Herbert, who throws 40 times a game. He's going to get turned around and get embarrassed, and it's not going to work. It worked, and I looked like an idiot from the jump street. Uh, and was very happy to see him flourish in KC. And his floor is just something that, I mean, you go ride with. I mean, he he might lead your team in (laughs) tackles every year for his career, potentially, with his downhill explosiveness, his one-read ability, uh, his ability to finish the tackle once he gets there. Uh, If I'm a betting man, I I say Nick Bolton because you just know at the very base level his foundation is is one of the best young linebackers in the league.
4: That's fair. But I'm going to say Willie Gay because I think his ceiling is much higher, and I think he's going to reach that ceiling this year. I mean, he showed flashes last year. He's one of those guys. He's a sideline-to-sideline guy. He fits perfectly today in today's NFL with the spread offenses and pass-heavy schemes. He can guard tight ends. He can stuff the run. I mean, and he had, like, I believe three or four drop picks last year. I mean, if he could just figure out a way to hold on to the ball, he could have some splash plays as well in coverage. So I I truly believe if he could stay healthy, Willie Gay, I'm going to say it right now. You know what? I got you right now, Aaron. We're recording this. I'm glad we are. Book this right now. Willie Gay will be a Pro Bowler next year. Mm. I'm saying it right now. He's going to make the Pro Bowl. I'm that high on Willie Gay, man. I've been high on him since they drafted him out of Mississippi State. He has all the intangibles that you want for a linebacker in today's NFL.
6: Back here on the Arrowhead Pride editors show, Pete Sweeney, John Dixon, we're about 2 weeks from the NFL draft. The Chiefs are they have 12 players they're picking, John. That that's a lot of write-ups. Uh that's too many. So <laughs> it's Brett, all about us. Brett, we know you're listening. Trade half of them if you can uh and and get better players anyway. Um no, but in all seriousness. We don't necessarily think the Chiefs are going to i uh, would be using all of these picks. If you had to guess, John, and, and I don't have this on the rundown, so I'm I put it on the spot here. How oh. many do we get, you think at this point? I would say 7.
7: I, I maybe a little more than that. Uh, but that's in the right range, 7 to 9, you know. Yeah. Um I, I'm sure that that veach would like to make some trades to move around. But you know, in order to make a trade, you have to have somebody who's willing to go along with you to do it, and you can't always do. You know that, what they say, so.
6: John? It, it, that's two to tango, baby. That, right. That's that's exactly. what you
7: need two to tango, and right. uh,
6: we'll see if the Chiefs are able to get that. Uh, the Chiefs have made some good trades in the past, like, namely, uh, Charverius Ward for Parker Anger, and mm-hmm. so I think there's like it's like the Tampa Bay Rays thing. I think sometimes the Chiefs get on the phone, and the, and the other team is like, wait. They want this guy. No, we're keeping this guy. What are you, what are you talking about that? They, they know what they're doing here. Um, <laughs> all right. So let's go through the visit track. We're going to get into the cap. I know that I'm going to let you lead that discussion, John, but um, I'm just going to read the positions. Cause again, we have the AP draft show Monday uh, and, and Friday Ron cop and, and their team is doing uh, good when it comes to specifics. They, there are draft experts here, but I'm just going to rip off the positions that have been connected to the chiefs. And so, Uh, John, you've been doing a nice job with our tracker, defensive tackle, defensive end, uh, a running back, tight end, a safety, cornerback, wide receiver, another wide receiver, defensive tackle, a wide receiver. Um, We had a cornerback, a tight end, a tight end, an offensive lineman, a safety and a cornerback. And again, we're we're not going to go into the names here, Mm -hmm. but I think even just for me ripping those off, you get a sense of, well, the Chiefs are, are, you know, legitimately interested in the positions we're talking about. The tight ends and and that tight end pattern is interesting. I, you know, you, you think about Travis Kelsey, he's getting older at some point, right? Mm-hmm. He's going to start uh, tapering off. I don't know if it's going to be this year because he seems like the type of guy that does have this fountain of youth uh, thing going. And Tony Gonzalez did a nice job well into uh, his 30s. But I think the Chiefs uh, might add another body there to to give Noah Gray some competition, a little bit underwhelming last year for Noah Gray. We uh, talked about the cornerbacks and the safeties. We know the Chiefs are interested in edge and then the wide receiver. So, you know, a lot of these, it, it seems obvious and, and to an extent it is, but I, I think a lot of these positions that the Chiefs have been connected to make sense for uh, the NFL draft.
7: It's been kind of an interesting mix uh, of name players that might go early in the draft and players from, you know, Division two schools and you know, names right. that are completely unfamiliar to us. So um, I, I think that they're doing a couple of different things. I think sometimes they're just you know ch- maybe they didn't get a chance to talk to them at the combine. So right. they want to check off that box before they decide whether they're interested in a player or not. Uh, maybe they need to find out in the case of these less familiar picks, Um, you know, maybe they weren't at the combine, didn't get an opportunity to talk to them. I think, I think the chiefs use these visits for a lot of different reasons. I think, I think there's a perception that, uh, visits are used for one thing or another. I think, I think they're used for all kinds of different reasons Well, because there's, there there doesn't seem to be a pattern to me.
6: It's to get to know the player and to have you talk to your coaching staff. Right. It's sometimes for medical reasons. Mm -hmm. And then there's like this deep strategy area of the NFL where, teams want to have you connected to a position <laughs> and they yeah. just wanted other teams to see it. So when the draft comes up, you're not, you're not worried about the, you know, them because they're more interested and then bam, <laughs> Brad feature trades up and steals your missed to Steal your man uh, and get you, get your, <laughs> get your player. So there is a little bit of the smoke screen aspect too, uh, but it, it does seem to fit the needs. We believe that the chiefs have. So that yeah. I just, that's mm-hmm. something that I want to mention. Uh, Peter Schrager made a point about wide receivers. And, and speaking of a position of need for the Kansas City Chiefs, he made a point about wide receivers uh, in saying that the, there, there are five guys that are considered first-round receivers. And so I'm, I'm going to try to explain this as best I can. Brett Veach ideally likes to take these players at, at the area of the draft where on their board – they have the max value. So you hear him about talking about hot zones, where the value mm-hmm. sort of yes. matches where the players are. So there's only so many receivers with first round grades in the, in the NFL draft Schrager named them. Jameson Williams of Alabama, which is the consensus draft crush of all of chiefs kingdom. Uh, Chris Olave from Ohio state, Garrett Wilson, Ohio state, Traylon Burks, Arkansas, Drake, London, USC. But here's the interesting part. He goes as high as saying the chargers at 17 where new Orleans has at the 16 may need to trade up. So there could be this run of first round receivers really early. The chiefs don't pick till mm-hmm. 29. And then especially when you get into the twenties, we know green Bay needs a receiver. The Chiefs stole one of their receivers in MVS. We know that new Orleans again, could use receivers with that whole Michael Thomas disaster. Uh, and so point being, if the chiefs want one of these top five premiums, they're going to be trading a lot of picks and they're, they, they could be picking as early as what seems to be in the eight to 15 range and Traeger is plugged in. You know, he's on, he's the face or one of the faces of good morning football. He talks to all these GMs. We know he talks to Brett beach. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this I thought was really interesting Uh, where it gets complicated again. And it was the point I was making in our first segment is the chiefs have so many needs. If so many needs. So could they really afford to go and get one of these premium guys? And I think that's going to be a really interesting. And, And the whole point of my article that I wrote up was, Man, strap your seatbelts in and watch the whole mm-hmm. NFL draft. Normally right. I'd say, yeah. look, the Chiefs are going <laughs> to sit there and trade back or something. No, I I think they're going to be active early. And and this because was another thing that led me to believe that.
7: Well, uh, you know, going back to the point you made just a couple of minutes ago about uh, the smokescreen aspect of it, I think there's at least a chance that Schrager is carrying water for Veach here and putting up a smokescreen about the possibility of lot of teams trading up a run at wide receivers if brett me if brett Veach thinks as i think he does that there's some defensive end on the board that he wants to grab early that would play right into his hands for there to be a run at wide receivers and be a lot of trading up to get wide receivers because that means there'll be a lot less competition for the defensive ends that are at the top of the draft right so it could be that it's it's just as advertised that we could see the chiefs making a big move to get a wide receiver to replace Tyreek Hill. That's absolutely possible. But I think it's also possible that Peter Schrager is carrying some water for Brett Veach and, and uh, Veach is trying to create a really big smokescreen about, about what's going on and what the chiefs are thinking about in the hopes that he can get the player he wants without expending a lot of capital.
6: The one thing that we know that beach and his staff do well is really making alternative plans like plan B mm-hmm. and C and yes. D and, and so on. And I, I think what's interesting about that is when you have 12 picks, I mean, the list of plans that you have to have is sure. just, it's like, it seems almost impossible to be ready for anything. So I think it's going to be a lot of bobbing and weaving, especially this, this draft in particular, like when you have six picks, there are only so many things you could do. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, right. the options that the chiefs have with all these picks is, is, limitless so and that
7: they're equally distributed through the draft I think that's an underappreciated point here that they've got multiple picks in like the first four rounds I think it is um that's 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 a really helpful thing to have if you want to wheel and deal on draft day
6: uh John I want to move on to the cap space point and you, you put up a nice article for us this week and essentially you were saying to sign its draft class the Chiefs will need less cap space uh than you think and you broke down the numbers and what did you learn in, in your deep dive here about the cap and, and where the Chiefs stand?
7: Well, this is something that we, we see every year at this point in the in the off season where a team has X amount of cap space and you see people saying, Well, yes, but they're going to need, you know, Y amount of cap space, which is usually most of it, in order to sign these rookies. Right. The reality is much different uh, because of the way that the salary cap rules work and an underappreciated, uh, not widely known fact about how rookies count against the cap. Essentially, they don't count against the cap at all when they're drafted. They only count, they only have an impact on the cap. They count against the cap, but because they're below the 51-player threshold, they don't show up as part of the cap hit. But once they sign their contracts, in some cases, for more than the 51st highest salary uh, 51st highest caps hit, I should say, uh, on the roster, then they, those salaries will have an impact, uh, on the cap. And it varies depending on, you know, how many picks you have and what rounds the chiefs have two picks in the first round, which means that they'll have a couple of players that'll be above that 51 player threshold, uh, when they sign their deals. So it's more money than we usually see. But it's still just three point eight million dollars if they if the Chiefs right picked all of the used all the draft picks they have to pick players, and I laid out some some circumstances where they might make trades that would change uh, the uh, the calculus on the on the draft picks. The one I liked the best uh, was one where they uh, where they trade the for the Jets. Let's say. Uh, because the Jets won another pick in the first round. They've already got two. And so the Chiefs uh, uh, give uh, give their their 30th pick, their 103rd pick, and their 233rd pick in order to get the Jets' second-round picks at 35 and 38. Now, what I think is cool about this is the Chiefs would have a first-round pick, four (laughs) second-round picks, a third, two-fourths, and three-sevenths. That's six picks in the top 100, okay? Right. And I think Brett Veach could kill with that kind of of ammunition in his pocket to to actually use those picks for players, and it would only cost him four million dollars in cap space to sign him in June. Well, so what we've that's seen
6: pretty cool. We've seen their track record in you know day two and day three, and they really do a nice job at the end of the draft with the fringe players, and now. I really think this is them, especially when it comes to a draft compensation, really calling their shot in a way. Look, Mm -hmm. give us all these premium picks and watch what we can actually do. You know, there has been some talk about Brett Veach and his inability to necessarily nail that day one or day two. And I think he said to himself, I'm betting on myself this time around. And let's see. Uh, how it goes uh, as it stands right now. You can always check the cap at, at our website, uh, John, you do a nice job with this as well. And I want to say it again, if you go to resources at the top of our head pride.com and click on chiefs and roster cap, you can ca- check the cap space. We got the roster. There's about 14 and a half million dollars uh, in cap space for the chiefs to play with right now. And uh, it could be more by the time, you know, they can do some different things. They, they still have some options there. So we, we will see what they end up doing. Um, I know that DK Metcalf has been a name that's been out there. I, I figure, mm-hmm. figure if they were going to make that bombshell deal, that would be a, a new contract because I don't think you make that unless you are willing to, to sign that receiver up for, for long term.